Good morning, church. You enjoying your summer so far? Have you ever met these, these, these kinds of people that are kind of like boundary deficit individuals? You know what I'm talking about? They have like this blurred line syndrome. Uh, they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of like missing this gene called the reason, reasonable limit gene. You know what I'm talking about? They're the ones who like... Uh, Extreme sports and extreme living. They're often fringy. You know what I'm talking about? Have you met people like this? Do you know anybody like this? I've got some good friends like this. The speed limit is the starting point. I don't want to mention anybody's name, Spencer. Oh. <laughs> some of these folks are kind of like certifiable, certifiably adventurous. They just love adventure. They love to do things. They love to climb mountains and then fall off mountains, you know, and, and do crazy stuff. And uh, I, I've been on, on mission trips with some of these individuals. Spencer. And uh, I remember one time I was with, uh, with my friend Spencer and, 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 and Dave, and we were at, at a beach in Panama. We were on a mission trip, and we went to the beach that day. And on that beach... We all saw it. We were in Panama, and the sand was black and shiny, and we knew what that meant. It was an oil slick, but that's the beach in Panama. And Dave and Spencer, they looked at each other, and they're tall and skinny, and I'm there beside them, not as tall, not as skinny. And they look at each other, and they go, let's run for it. And so they start running, you know, they're going to dive in because the, they don't know how cold the water is. It's going to dive. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. You know, I could do it too. And we all ran together. And then they got in the water and I was like on my back. And they're like, where's Sergio? And I was still on the sand, still trying to make my way to the beach, to the ocean. We've been... Uh, We've been, I've told you stories about uh, uh, doing uh, some zip lining in Nicaragua, 200 feet above the ground, and it was crazy, man, doing some crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, again, it's easy for them. They're skinny. I'm like, you know, I'm a big dude, Nicaragua. I'm trying to talk to these guys and saying, you know, like, I'm not sure this is a good idea. You know, and they're like, oh, no problema. Yeah, no problema for you, man. But, you know, it's, it's a problema for me. You know, I'm not sure I could go. You know, they're like, no, no, don't worry. We can make this. I'm not sure that's a good idea, you know. But sure enough, man. And I waited till it was dark because I figured I'd go with the last group. If I go with the last group, maybe they won't go at all. But I was wrong. They went in the dark. It got darker and darker as we got going from tree line to tree line to tree line to tree line. And I remember just the, at the end, I am going down and just, it was exhilarating. I'm not going to lie to you. Everybody cheering for me, but I couldn't wait to get off that thing, man, you know. And they were like, oh, that was fun. That was great. We don't really know what really happened in the following story we're about to read. What precipitated the incident 
what really caused this. It very, it's possible, perhaps, that this man was born this way. Maybe he and his four friends were always fringy. Or maybe one day they were diving off a cliff, and then all of a sudden, Yusuf is not getting up, and they're wondering why. We don't know what happened. We don't know how he got to this place. But from that day forward, they all felt this responsibility. And they all took Yosef from one place to another, from a market to the synagogue to local events. They, they were, these four guys with Yosef, just, just, just taking them from place to place to place. <coughs> and one day, they heard Jesus was in town. And these four friends had this idea. We know about this healer. We know what he could do. Let's take him to Jesus. And let me read you the story, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. It's found in Mark chapter 2. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bibles. And it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. People are all excited because he's coming home. They gathered in such large numbers that... There was no room left, and not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. You know, let me tell you something. When Jesus is in the house, the place is packed. And when the place is not packed, I always wonder what is missing, or maybe who is missing. Are you following what I'm saying here? Doing good? Fringy, I'm telling you right there, man, watch out for him. He's going he's gonna to be, he's going to be in one of those adventurous ones. And it says here that uh, some men came bringing him, a paralyzed man carried by four of them, since they could not, since they could not, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, <coughs> they made an opening in the roof above. Are you following this? They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, lowered the mat the man was laying on with the man on the mat. <coughs> Excuse me. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law <clears throat> Excuse me, we're sitting there thinking to themselves, thinking to themselves. They weren't saying this out loud. Are you following this? It's very important. Why does this fellow talk like that? They're just thinking to themselves. He is blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. They're just thinking to themselves. They, they wouldn't dare say it out loud. Problem is that Jesus is in the house. And it doesn't matter what you're thinking, Jesus knows. And we can think we can hide our thoughts, but Jesus knows our thoughts. Jesus knows what we're thinking. Jesus knows the things that we don't even utter. He knows them. And so immediately, it says in, chapter, in verse 8, Jesus knew his spirit, in his spirit, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. He knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Can you imagine being one of those guys? Thinking what? I wasn't thinking anything. What are you talking about? 
No, no. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say this paralyzed man to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? <coughs> Which is easier? <coughs> They're probably still trying to deny the fact that they were thinking anything. Excuse me. <clears throat> Apparently that's gotten frozen again, huh? Yes, no problem, man. I got you here. So, uh, which is easier to say, right? Which, uh, get up, your sins are forgiven, or take your mat and walk. But then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed, thanks man, somebody's recognizing the miracle there for a moment. And this amazed everyone, including his four friends. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, let's talk about this moment here. Have you ever been paralyzed? Not necessarily physically. But I've talked to some of you, and I know that some of you have been immobilized by self-analysis. Paralysis by analysis. Have you ever heard this before? I've seen this in you guys, that crippling practice which often poisons, poisons us with overwhelming guilt. Perhaps you've been stuck in a catatonic state of resentment. I know some of you guys that struggle with forgiving others. You're paralyzed by your own inability to forgive others and accept forgiveness. You're paralyzed. Paralyzed by your inability to forgive or accept forgiveness. Maybe you've experienced verbal paralysis at the time when you know you should have spoken up, but you didn't have the courage to. <clears throat> you didn't have the the, the ability to actually speak up, you got paralyzed. Have you ever experienced this? Anybody ever had a dream, by the way, where you got paralyzed in your dream? You got so scared that you couldn't move or say anything. You wanted to. Have you ever had this act, uh, happen before? They say that that comes from the moments in our lives when we should have said something and we didn't. So apparently there's more of those moments than we realize. Afraid of ridicule. Afraid of losing our jobs or afraid of losing a friend. Paralyzed by indifference. Perhaps some of you are paralyzed by the fear of failure. You want to do more, but you, you just feel like, man, if I, what if I fail? What if I blow it? Some of you guys are plagued by 
indecision, which leads to inactivity, paralyzed by an overcautious spirit. Maybe some of you guys are paralyzed by perfectionism. Anybody here, like, doesn't get anything accomplished because you want it to be perfect? You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you don't have the victories that you should have because you feel like you should be perfect or you need to be perfect, and it doesn't work that way. Perfection is something that only Jesus can give us because he is perfect. And, it, and it, we just need to accept his process, his timing, his ways. But we are paralyzed, and we never go anywhere. It renders us totally inoperative. If you can just get it right, you can just move on, right? Have you ever experienced that? <coughs> There's this poem uh, called Paralysis by... Am I right? Here's a, an excerpt from that poem. It says, if I had become a tri trial, why not let me down? Not even gently, but hard. My very being aches, but I'll let you carry me. Hate me and torture me. Laugh at my tragedy, but just let me down kindly, callously. There's no distinction. Without you, I am void. Hurt me. I'm paralyzed. If I feel pain, at least I know I exist. Anybody here ever been paralyzed? The Bible says that these guys try to go through the front door, but they couldn't get through. And I got a feeling they said, let's try the back door. But they couldn't get through. And so they decide, and I don't know if they made these plans within earshot of Yosef. I'm just calling him that, by the way. We don't know what his name is. Are they saying this within earshot of Yosef? Or are, or are they just like, hey, hey, come here. Let's, I got an idea. And all of a sudden, now Yosef is like, all right, what do you guys, I know, I know that look in your face, guys. What are you guys doing? Hey, hey, put me down. I know what you're thinking. This is what got me here to begin with. Stop it. Where are you going? Why are you climbing? Oh, no. And next thing you know, <coughs> they're making a hole through the roof. And they're making a hole through the roof, and then they're, 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 they're letting this guy down. These guys are ingenious, aren't they? Their whole mentality is nothing, nothing is going to get in the way between us and Jesus. We're going to break barriers. We're going to do whatever it takes. But nothing is going to get in the way for us to bring this guy to Jesus. So Jesus can heal this man. Nothing. Nothing at all. If it's got to mean, if it means we've got to go through the roof. Hey, look, we've done crazier stuff than this before. We were talking at uh, men's breakfast some months ago about how do you know, you know, who's your best friend? How do you know, who, like, what's your definition of a best friend? And, and one of the things we said is your best friend is somebody you would call if you ever got arrested in a foreign country and you just, like, who do you call? I tell you who I would call. I would call Spencer because there's nobody that is going to be more totally Committed to making sure that I get out somehow. Is that true? Don't you have some? You should have somebody like that in your life. These four guys were that for Yosef. I could just imagine 
how crazy it was as they came down. And when Jesus, the Bible says, when Jesus saw them bringing this guy through the, through the roof, he, he was astonished at their disrespectful audacity and reprimanded them because they were so disruptive. Is that what the Bible says? You know, sometimes we get so ridiculously upset about people. You know, church is messy. Len and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. Church is messy. And we get kind of like all bent out of shape because somebody's doing this or doing that or, or saying this. or You know, look, we live in a messy world. Church is messy. Sometimes, what would happen right now if all of a sudden you start hearing drilling and somebody be coming down, right? Our, our, our first thing would be like, look, the church is not that full. <laughs> the doors are open, man. Why are you going through this stuff, right? But let's suppose it was packed. Fourth service. Place, everything. I mean, people are looking. What would you do? With how many people? I, I can't, let this church know. This church doesn't do this. But I can tell you right now, I know churches that get upset because the carpet got dirty by the youth department. Like as if the carpet is more important than those young people that love Jesus Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Are you there with me? Am I, who am I talking to this morning? Are you following what I'm saying here? I got to go preach in Yakima this afternoon, so I'm just getting ready for that. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to boast about how this church loves young people. When Jesus saw these guys coming through the roof, destroying the property, he rebuked them and shamed them in front of everybody else. Is that what the Bible says? He realized that it was reckless. And he looked at them and go, ah, it's Joseph and company. I know who they are. They're always going to do this. And dismissed them as hopeless. Is that what he did? No. No. The Bible says something quite amazing here. Don't miss this. The Bible says that when Jesus saw what? Ah, you forgot to bring your Bibles, did you? You got so used to the screen. There's a a word there that's so important. When Jesus saw what? Huh? Whose faith? Their faith. Not even his faith. Their faith. In other words, Jesus looks at the audacity of these guys. He looks at their craziness that we would say, look, you don't do that in church kind of stuff. He looks at that and calls it what? Faith. How awesome is that? That's faith. Maybe our definition of faith should be audacity. Maybe our definition of faith should be like doing stuff that is reckless for the kingdom of God. Maybe our definition of faith should be, hey, how do we carry somebody to Jesus and no matter what, get through the barriers? What if that would be our definition of faith? What if faith is no more than that? I mean, this is what Jesus says, that he saw their faith 
and therefore said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. <coughs> now, the Bible says that there were many gathered there. Let me tell you who was there. Just like any other church, critics were there. Spies were there. The curious were there. The needy were there. The indifferent were there. The traditional were there. The seeker was there. The eager was there. And they all were there to hear for whatever reason they had. What's your reason for being in church today? What's your reason for being at Peter's house today? What's going through in your mind? Every week, I see four distinct groups in our church. Every week. I won't call you out, but I'll tell you who the four groups are. In this group right now, there are Christians who know that they are right with God, that if they would walk out today and get hit by a car, God forbid, and die, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their sins are forgiven and they have eternal life. They know that. And they know that they are right with God. And I'm going to tell you something, man. You matter to God. Your peace, your example of joy, your ability to rise above challenges no matter what because of the security that you have in Christ, God loves that you matter to God. There's a second group. These are non-believers who somehow think that they are believers. How are we doing out there? They have never really fully surrendered. They just have been doing this Weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend, they've been raised this way. This is what they call themselves. They're satisfied even by appearing good. They're more into morality than they are into holiness. They're all about behavior and not transformation. They compare their conduct with the rapists. I'm not that bad. And guess what? If you're in that group, you matter to God. And God would want to do everything he can to help you experience the assurance of salvation that you deserve to experience. Not based on your works, but based on his death on the cross. A third group is the Christians who are Christians, who are believers, but they lack the confidence. They're not sure. These are the ones that if I would say, look, if you were to die tonight, would you be sure that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life? And they'd be like, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I love Jesus, but I, I, you know, I don't know. And there is quite a few of you in here. Again, I'm not going to call you out. But that's a reality. And guess what? You matter to God. And God wants to reassure you. And God wants you to know again and again and again, you matter. 
And I am going to do everything I can to help you understand that it's not about you and it's not about, it's about what I did on the cross for you. That's what Jesus wants to tell us. But somehow we have, we have warped it in our minds and we think it's about us and it's just, that's just not it. Then there's a fourth group in here. I want to tell you about the fourth group. These are non-believers who know that they are non-believers. <laughs> they're just here hoping maybe something will click. They're not even sure there's even God. But, you know, maybe their spouse brought him here or their girlfriend or boyfriend. They just, they're not sure. They're just like, well, maybe, you know. And, and they're here. And guess what? You matter to God. There's not a single person in this room that does not matter to God. Are you following what I'm saying here? And God's got a plan for you. And he wants you to get to that point in your life. Well, as you're seeking truth, you will find it. And that truth will set you free. That's what he promises us. So I wonder where you fit in Peter's house. Maybe some of you need to break the barrier to see Jesus in a different way. And maybe some of you need a friend or two to bring you to Jesus that way. Maybe you're so paralyzed by the voices in your head, you're so paralyzed by the stuff in your life that you cannot do it on your own and somebody's got to bring you. Hey, there are times when I need, I need Nancy to bring me to Jesus, my wife. I need, I, sometimes I, there are times when I need Nancy to, to, to set me back on the path. Are we okay with that? I mean, look, we, we all need those kinds of friends that are willing to take us from point A to point B. I, I love what C.S. Lewis said. I love this. This is so cool. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. See, we're all... This is, this is all of us right here. There's nobody here that does not have that experience. There's no one here that does not need the community of believers to help them break through barriers. And the worst thing that we could ever do as a community is to put up barriers. And I've spoken to too many churches but before I walk in, I could tell there's a barrier. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, is this church? Do I got to put a hole in the roof? I mean, the barriers in the church is empty. How is that possible? And we as a church should never, ever, 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 never, Put up barriers. Our life should be a life that opens doors and makes holes and does whatever it takes so that people can get to Jesus. Amen. That's really what believers are all about. How do, I, how do I get you to Jesus? Our lives are not even to change. That, that, uh, we as believers, some of us think that it's our job to change people. Our job is not to change people. Our job is to take them to Jesus, who's the only one that can really transform people. <clears throat> we can't even reform people, let alone transform people. It's reported that Howard Hughes, 
one of the richest men that was alive, when worth approximately $4 billion, said, I'd give it all for one good friend. I'd give it all for one good friend. And then Jesus says uh, to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. See, these guys, they lower this man through the roof so that he can be healed of what? Paralysis. Jesus is welcoming and is great. It's all good, but guess what? He's sitting there going what? I think he winked at him. He says, your sins are forgiven. And, and all of a sudden, like the thoughts... Can you imagine, poor, poor Jesus, man, to be able to hear thoughts. Can you imagine all the murmur that he was hearing in that place? I'm so glad I cannot read your thoughts. Some of you guys right now are sitting there going, man, I'm hungry. I wish you would stop. Some of you guys are going, wait, wait, what did he just say? Can I rewind? Where's the rewind button? Some of you guys are, you know, sitting there thinking, wait, is he talking about me? Here's one thing that I've learned, and this is so important. Some of you come to church, and you say, feed me, but don't you change me. I remember some years ago, a long time ago, I, decided, I tried to go to a weight loss coach. And I walked in and I said, look, here's the thing, okay? I'm Italian. I love my pasta. I love my bread. Otherwise, I'm open to anything. <laughs> and they looked at me, they go, well, we got to talk about that. And what I was saying is, look, I want to lose weight, but... But I don't want to change. I want to lose weight, you know. I, you know, don't, don't talk to me about grain brain and wheat belly and, you know, that some, you know, person that ate bread and pasta died of cancer because he ate bread. I, you know, I, don't talk to me about that stuff. I just want to lose weight. And some of you guys, listen, some of you guys, most of us love the idea of God changing our circumstances more than the idea of God changing us. How are we doing? <laughs> and Jesus says to this guy, I forgive your sins. I don't want to just change your circumstances. I want to change you. And here's what I believe. I really believe this with all my heart. I wish I, I, can't, I, wish I was there. I believe the moment Jesus said that, the guy was like, okay, no, 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 stay. No, I got to get up. No, no, hold on. Because I'm hearing murmurs in my head. Oh, okay, I got you. Let's, let's build up the drama. And Jesus is like, why are you talking about this? Which is easier for me to say? I'll tell you what. Just so that you know that I can't forgive sins, here's what I will tell you. Take up your mat. And walk. Now? Yeah. Yeah. 
like, like right now? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? His four friends on the roof. Guys, look. And can you imagine his testimony to those four friends about being forgiven of sin? I ask the worship team to come up here as I finish. If our greatest need had been an information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, then God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent us a businessman, a brilliant economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, then God would have just sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. And I don't know about you, man, but I want just, I, I just... I love the fact that God wants to forgive us. I, it's the most liberating moment. I, I'll never forget, you've, you've heard me, some of you tell the time when I was arrested. I was 16 years old. Try to do something stupid. Broke into somebody's house. And, and, and the two other people, they... One of them got to spend the night in jail. I never did. I never spent the night in jail because my dad spent every last penny of his, of his uh, savings to, to be, get the best lawyer possible so that I would not spend a, a night in jail. And he took, and I'll never forget walking out, my Italian father, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is not good, man, walking away and, and then putting his arm on my shoulder and saying to me, it's okay, Sergio. We'll figure it out. I forgive you. Mama, on the other hand, <laughs> it's another story, but I, I forgive. You know, I got to tell you, to, to, the goodness of the Lord, the Bible says, leads a man to repentance. Nothing did more for me than that walk with my dad to know. It, it's, and then when I met Jesus years later, I, I, it was like, I get it now. I get it. That Jesus would forgive me. That Jesus would love me. That Jesus would forgive you. That Jesus would love you. Do you believe that? I don't know what the barriers are. Maybe you need to team up with somebody. Maybe you need to find somebody in your life that, can, that you could say to, hey, man, you know what? Do whatever you have to do. Get me through that barrier. Get me through the roof. You know what? Get me to see Jesus. Whatever it is. We've got some wonderful prayer people in this church, you know. <clears throat> Go to Tom and Valerie Fisher and, and their team and say, hey, could you pray for me? I can't give you details, but just pray for me. We've got some, some great pastors here come to us. So can you pray for me? You know, like whatever it is, please, we're, we're there for you. We, we love you. We want to be those, those crazy, audacious friends. We want to help you break those barriers so that you can experience Jesus. Faith, you know, it doesn't make things easy, but it does make, makes, makes, make things possible. You've heard me say this before. Uh, faith is not just believing in the absence of evidence, but for these four men and Yosef, 
Poor guy's got a name now. Faith was believing in the presence of contrary evidence. Most of us would have been like, well, it must not be God's will. <laughs> no, not to these men. So believe, have faith. Let's see God do some amazing stuff. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, I don't pretend to know all the barriers and all the roofs that are in the way, all the doors that are closed that so many in this room right now are experiencing in their own lives, but I do know this, that you're the kind of God that applauds the faith that can break through those barriers. I pray, Father, that we would help each other get through. Help us to know, Lord, what to do. And get creative, Lord. Maybe even a little fringy, Lord. Help us, Father, to experience your forgiveness in our lives. Help us, Father, to experience you with all our being, with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.